So, you know, it's been such a, a wonderful journey for me here in the Philippines. I'm actually a missionary. And a lot of people, when they meet me here, they say, you don't look like a missionary. So I don't really know what a missionary is supposed to look like. I've been here for three and a half years, and it's been a good run. And we've had our ups and downs. And what we've been doing is that we've basically just been preaching the good news. And unfortunately, in some ways, some people don't like the good news. Right? It's very interesting. And, but some people do. And what happens is that when you, when you start preaching the good news, religious people get mad because their efforts seem like it's worthless. And that's, that's the thing. It's like uh, a lot of people don't realize what they already have in Jesus Christ. And what I'm here to do today, I'm not here to offer you anything. I'm here to tell you what you already have. <laughs> and you probably just didn't know it yet. Is it okay I'm sitting on a stool? I told Aaron I just want to relax. I just want chill. <laughs> okay. Um, I just want to relax and just talk from my heart. And um, like I said, I really appreciate GCI. I'll be preaching next week at the other GCI church. And I really believe that you guys, I mean, not just you, I mean, but there are other people that have this too. But to see a church that's willing to proclaim the finished work of Jesus Christ to me, it's a big deal. And I told Aaron. Um, and Joyce at dinner before that um, you're going to have some hostility here because there's a lot of people with a works-oriented mentality here, right? It's not just in the Philippines. It's all over the world. But I was telling him that somebody has to say something, right? You can't wait till everybody's going to be on the same page. And a lot of people will hate you for preaching it. But a lot of people will love you. And a lot of people will say, thank you. Thank you for telling me this. I never knew this my whole life and I grew up in the church. Okay? What I've been realizing as I've been preaching this message of grace and this message of unconditional love, I started to notice, because we interact with a lot of people, either it's through the internet, and some of you, especially the young people, you have messaged me. The young people are there, I guess, right? Some of you have messaged me. And, uh, and you heard some of my sermons. And as we continue to interact with each other, and we're, 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 we're learning what the real gospel really means. Right? And I know some of your history. I've, I've looked into it. And you've had a shift. Right? And that we're so certain, this is the truth. This is right. Now all of a sudden, what? You're kidding me. Have we been deceived? You know, that, that's what could go on in your mind, right? Let me tell you, no matter where you're at on your journey with God, you'll be okay. That you don't need to have your theology perfectly worked out in order for God to love you. Okay? You don't need to have all your theology worked out just so you could be accepted by God. Right? And uh, what I started to really see... Um, uh, my wife sees a lot of my nasty emails that I get from Christians <laughs> and uh, even from grace preachers. Did you believe that? They're called grace preachers, right? And you could see that the, the, the negativity that, that a theology can create in people's minds when we think that we're superior to another group because we have the truth. And what I want to preach this morning or to share in my heart this morning is that I want to show you how big God is. 
and his love for all of humanity, not just the Christians, that we're not just this special group and say, hey, we're in and they're out. Let's try to convince them or else they're going to burn. I don't think that's the gospel, right? And what I started to see as I continued to, on a daily basis, I, 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 I interact with a lot of Christians and I see somewhat of a disconnect. What do I mean? They had this understanding up here of what, they, of what they've been taught. But here, they know what love is. But the struggle is, is that they're trying to reconcile what they've been taught here and what they already know here. Right? And what a lot of Christians are scared of doing is that they're afraid to live from here. They're afraid to live from their heart. They're afraid to read their Bible with their heart. They're afraid to think with their heart. And that they think knowing God is all about Bible verses. Memorizing scripture. Truth, 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 truth. Right? And I'm here to say that you don't need to be a genius to know God. <laughs> okay? My wife was at Smoky Mountain the other day ministering to the kids. Do you think they know Trinitarian theology? Right, and she was uh, at another thing yesterday, helping out some kids and donating shoes to the kids. Do you know they? Do you think they know Trinitarian theology? No. But they know love here. They may not see it. They may not see it in their parents or in their siblings or in their circumstances because they're living in the dumps, right? But deep down, they know that someone's there, right? And what I'm trying to get people to do, because I receive emails from people telling me Josh just reads the Bible following his emotions. He just follows his emotions. I'm not saying you just follow with whatever you feel, okay? Not everything you feel is good, right? But I'm here to say this. If you do not live from your heart or you feel, you're not living in love. And in other words, you're just going to be living out empty religion. Right Now, we just had our anniversary the other day. Now, imagine I buy a bunch of roses for my wife, and then my wife's back there like, you didn't buy me roses for our anniversary, right? <laughs> I did it, right? But I took her out. But anyways, um, imagine I buy her a bunch of roses for our anniversary, and I say, honey, happy anniversary. I love you. And then she says, do you mean that, Josh? Well, not really. It's just our anniversary. <clears throat> it's something that we're supposed to do as men, as husbands. Women, is that love? No. Now imagine, I, now it's possible, right? I could cheat on my wife. God forbid, right? Now imagine I, just, I could just mess around with a bunch of people, but then I choose not to. And someone says, Josh, why do you not cheat on your wife? And, you say, and I tell people, well, you know, I'm just trying to be obedient to the scriptures. Women, is that a loving answer? That your husband is simply being faithful to you because he's trying to be obedient to the scriptures. Maybe some of you might think that's love. But let me tell you what I think is a better answer. And I think the better answer is that the reason why I won't mess around or go with other people, go with other girls, because I love my wife. I feel it in my heart. But a lot of people, thanks bro, a lot of people think that obeying the scripture is merely something that you just do. And it's not something that you live from the heart. And I'm telling you, the Christian life cannot be lived unless it's lived from the heart. 
It's very simple. Like I said, even a child can understand. Is making sense, folks? That whatever you do, love matters. And that if there is no love in the ultimate sense, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Let me start off with this question. Okay, How many of you have experienced rejection before? Raise your hand. Okay, And if we're really going to be honest with ourselves, all of us are going to raise our hands. Because on some level, you've experienced it. Right? Now, you know, just be open to this. You know, some of us, we've experienced rejection from our dad. Right? Sometimes it feels like our dad's not there. Right? He's there in the home, but he's not really there. You know what I mean, right? Or we experience rejection from our mom. Or, you know, we even experience rejection from groups at church. Or we've experienced rejection at school. You're trying to fit in. Because, you know, we've all been there. I know I've tried to fit in, right? Try to be cool. Or maybe some of you have even experienced rejection from your spouse, saying, I don't want to be with you anymore. And maybe some of us, we even experienced and believed or believed that you've been experiencing rejection from God because of your current situation that you're in. Maybe some of you are struggling with health. Maybe some of you are struggling financially. And there's that part of you that's saying, God, are you even there? Right? Because, folks, if, if we could just be honest with ourselves, that when you speak to a lot of Christians, a lot of it is just, it's fake. It's just facade. In the Philippines, we say mask. Because <laughs> we have to look okay because we're Christian. <laughs> right? But deep down, we're really hurting. And we just don't want to lose our position at church or whatever it may be. Or we don't want to look unspiritual to the people that look up to us. Right? And for those of us who have experienced rejection, and maybe some of us have tried to spend our entire lives trying to find approval. You know those types of people, they're always trying to seek your approval. Or they're always trying to be accepted by something that they do. Why is that? Now have we taken the time to reflect and to ask why rejection have hurt, hurts us so much? Have you ever thought about that? Because I don't know about you, I know when I suffered from rejection, it really hurt, man. Like you just feel like you don't belong or you feel like you're different from other people. Or sometimes even in the Philippines, you know, I'm not judging anybody here, but sometimes because of your social class, you think you're better than other people, or if you're a Filipino and you speak English, sometimes sometimes they could feel like they're even more superior. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I've seen that. I've been here for three and a half years. And it saddens me. That's the thing. It's like when, when you feel different, when you feel like you don't belong, it really, really hurts. And some of us, we've had these experiences at home of rejection, and, and sometimes you, you even feel it now because you have all these memories going on in your mind where you feel scarred. And it really hurts where you even wonder how in the world did this rejection even exist where it still affects me to this day. Why? Why is that? And I think I know the answer. 
And I think the answer is because it's the way we're created. I think it's the way we're wired, so to speak. Right? And I think the reason why rejection hurts us so much is because we were made for rejection. We were made for acceptance. We were meant to belong. Right? Now I want you to think about this. The other day, my wife, she just saw uh, a bunch of what we call orphans, right? They're abandoned. Now imagine you go up to an orphan, and then you go up to an orphan, and you say, Hey, you're an orphan. You have no mom. You have no dad. Uh, I don't even want you. And in fact, nobody wants you. Question. How do you think that's going to make the child feel? Good? <laughs> no, man. Right? Is that love? How do you know that? Because you read that in the Bible? Or do you just know that intuitively in your heart? Right? That's very easy, very common sense. But here's another scenario. Imagine you go up to another orphan and then you say, I love you if you love me back. I accept you if you accept me. If you reject me, I'm going to reject you. In fact, if you reject me, I'm going to be angry at you and I'm going to be against you for the rest of your life. Now, how do you think that's going to make the child feel? Good? <laughs> Pretty bad. Next question. Is that love? No. But here's a confusion and why some of us might be confused because deep down we know that that's not love. In fact, let me summarize it like this for that second scenario. In other words, the child has to do something in order to belong. It's conditional. right? Now, here's the confusing part. Because deep down in our hearts, we know that's not love. But yet, that's the way many people describe God. Right? He, in other words, He's the God of conditions. Where basically God says... I love you if you love me. I accept you if you accept me into your heart. Oh, you reject me? I'm going to be angry at you and have my wrath against you forever, and that's called hell. Right? Or, you do not belong to me, God says, unless you do something. Like what? You have to acknowledge you're a sinner, confess your sins, repent. You have to climb these steps in order to get to him, then when you, once you do those steps and you repent and you have faith in him, all of a sudden, you belong. You belong all of a sudden. That's how it is, right? If you don't accept Jesus Christ, I don't even want to say that word, but, but man, you're, you're going to have it pretty bad. Okay? And I'm going to explain myself here, okay, what this means, right? But a lot of people would say, well, well, this is the God of conditions. That's what we're saying. Well, God's love is different, right? God's love is different. That, that it's something that you can't really understand. It's a mystery, right? Really? Is God's love really a mystery that we just can't understand it? That it's beyond our comprehension that God loves differently than we do? Really? If God's love is something that you cannot understand, 
you cannot comprehend it at all, right? And that it's a mystery. How would we even know what love is? Doesn't the Bible say that God is love? And that we should love others the way God loves us? We yet all of a sudden, we have this God that's not unconditional. In fact, he's conditional. Okay? But yet we're told to love unconditionally. Why? Because we're supposed to forgive others. We're supposed to forgive our enemies. Right? We're supposed to turn the other cheek, etc., etc. You get what I'm saying? But with God, God's not like that. Parents, now I don't have a kid yet. But parents, do you only love your kids when they love you? <laughs> Some of the parents are like, yes. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> do you only accept your kids when they accept you? No. Will you reject your kids if they reject you? Now, some parents will, but if you know what true love is, true love, a parent wouldn't do that, right? Now, if your child disobeys you or they don't have the correct understanding or perception of you, do they still belong to you as your children? Yeah, because they're still your kids. You still love them, right? Now, why is it that God's love is conditional, but yet our love is supposed to be unconditional? And here's my point. Whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. And whatever you believe about God, that's what you will live out in your life. I'll say that again. Whatever you believe about love, you believe about God. And whatever you believe about God, you will live that out in your life. And if you think that God's love is conditional, you're going to spend your entire life trying to earn his approval and his acceptance of you based upon your religious acts, praying, <laughs> worshiping, whatever that means, right? Now let me tell you the truth. What I believe is the truth. That right now, at this very moment, before you do anything, in spite of what you've done in the past, you belong to God. You are accepted by God. But Josh, I didn't do anything. I didn't ask him into my heart. Doesn't matter. You are accepted and loved by God. Oh, wait, but what, what about all the acknowledging, confessing, repenting? Now, I'm not against those things. But listen here. Are those things that we do, faith, repentance, confession, whatever you want to say, are those things the requirements to be accepted by God? Or, listen, are those just simply responses to knowing that because of his love, we're already accepted and included and loved by him? I'm telling you, folks, when I, when I preach in a lot of churches, and you'll see people, I see, you know, just last week I, I preached in a church, I saw so many people crying because my message was that bad. <laughs> no, I was joking. No, they were crying because they were touched. <laughs> and they were telling me, you know, we've never, we've never heard this before. And these were pastors that were coming up to me. Because they're constantly trying to earn their dad's approval. <laughs> right? And they were surprised that they already have it. Even if they weren't even a Christian, so to speak, whatever that means. Right? 
Oh, it's so surprising. Now, some of us have a really hard time believing that at this very moment, let's just say you did something stupid today. Sorry for my language, okay? You're still accepted. You're still loved by Him. Let's just say you have an angry thought against me right now and you're like, I don't like this speaker. You're still accepted. <laughs> you're loved by God. Unconditionally. Why? Because we know it deep down in our hearts. Folks, I am not against reading the Bible. Okay, Some people think I'm against the Bible and I'm not against the Bible. Okay, What the Bible does is that it gives us the bigger picture. It tells us the story of redemption, right? And ultimately, we know who God is revealed in who? Not necessarily the Bible. We know he's ultimately revealed in who? Jesus Christ. That he's ultimately the word of God, right? And what this book does is that when you're reading it and you read this, this scripture, what you're seeing in the life of Jesus is going to confirm what you're experiencing in your heart. Not everything, because you'll read the Old Testament. There's a lot of things in there you do not want to follow, okay? But what I'm saying is, is that what the Bible will do, which is why I still encourage people to read it, is that it'll give you language for what you're experiencing in your heart. You'll be like, oh, okay. That's what God is telling me, right? Because ultimately, you don't have direction from this. Look how divided Christianity is. And all these Christians are debating each other, bickering. You know what I'm saying? Creating enemies. We don't like that church. That's not part of our denomination. You see, you're not united because of the Bible. You're united because of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Right? Whether you believe it or not. <laughs> right? Now, let me tell you why, or let me tell you a, a story or a plan. Why, why is it so hard for us to believe that we're accepted by God right now? And I want to tell you that there was an, there's actually a bigger story to it. And what do I mean by this bigger story? That in other words, there was this plan that even before you were born, there was this plan, right? That when you, when you think about the life of Jesus Christ, and it was, think about it. When I say Jesus Christ, what do you immediately think about? For many people, they'll say, I think of the cross and him dying on the cross for our sins. And I'm not saying that's not important, but did you know that that's not the bigger picture? Did you know that that's only one piece of the puzzle of what we call the bigger picture, the bigger plan, the bigger dream that the Father, Son, and the Spirit had for us? Right? You guys have your Bible? Or is it going to be on the screen? I don't know. Open up to Ephesians chapter 1. What does it say? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. It says, For he chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted. As his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and with his will. In other words, the dream is basically this, that even before any of us were born, even before this world was created, believe it or not, the Father, Son, and the Spirit eternally decided that they wanted you and me to be adopted into their life. It's amazing. Right? Now I want you to think about this. If we were not created, right, and there's billions of people all over the planet, if we were not created and there was no world, would there be such thing as love? 
Because there needs to be someone to love, someone to receive the love and to reciprocate the love, etc., etc. Some people will actually say, no, there's no such thing as love then because, you know, God needs to love somebody. Well, I think you guys all know the answer already. That before the foundations of the world, there was a love between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Now I want you to think about this, that this eternal and this uncreated God, where they have this unbroken, intimate, and perfect unity and fellowship, where they share absolutely everything with each other, have decided that you and me will be included in their life and say, I want to share everything with you. That's a pretty good deal. <laughs> right? Why? Because God is not impersonal. God is into relationships. He's not this distant God out there. God is so personal. He says, I'm interested in relationship. I'm not just interested in you. I'm interested in your heart. I want to know what's going on in your heart. Tell me your heart. I'll listen. I'll encourage you. I'll encourage you through people. I'll encourage you through this book. I'll encourage you through circumstances. I'll encourage you with peace. I'll encourage you in your mind. He's a God of relationship. Right? He's not this impersonal God. And this is what's so interesting because people think that Jesus was simply born to die. He was not just simply born to die. If Jesus was simply just born to die, when he was a, in the, a baby in the manger, you should have just killed him already. Right? If he's just, he's just born to die, right? No, no, no. That death and his life and his resurrection was still part of that bigger picture of what? Adopting you and including you in this life, in this circle of Father, Son, and Spirit. It's all part of the bigger picture. Amen? Now, this is one thing that I want to get for a lot of people. Oh, by the way, this is my nephew. I'm going to see him soon. I love him. Um, I want you to think about this. When God came, he came because he wanted to unite himself to us, to join himself to us, to embrace us in his arms. Embrace not just the Christians, but to embrace all of humanity. Right? Now, check this out. It's so interesting because I've heard, even in Bible school, a lot of people think that when God came in human form, that Jesus was like Superman. That's why he has all these miraculous powers. Boom, 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 be raised from the dead, blah, blah, blah. Right? Did you know that Jesus was just like you and me? And that when he lived a life on this earth and he was able to do all those miraculous things, it wasn't simply because he's God. He did those things. Why? Because he lived by the power of the Holy Spirit just like you and me. And he still had challenges. Why? Because he was just like you and me. He still got hungry. He still got sleepy. He still was limited by space. He had to walk places. Right? You guys know, all, I'm sure some of us, we know that saying. That which is not assumed is not healed. In other words, if Jesus was only this much a part of us, he'll only heal that much. But if he was this much a part of us, all of us, that's why he was able to redeem it. And that's what he was willing to do. Is that He was able to take this fallen Adamic flesh, this entire sinful world, put it into himself, bury it, put it to death, and create new creations, convert fallen humanity into new creations. By what? The power of the resurrection. So why did he have to die? Because he saw what sin did to us, right? If we could just be realistic about this, of what we see, the, the, this corruption in this world, what happened is that what God did 
is that he took that upon himself. Like I said, he buried it and gave us new life. Why? Because he did not want us to perish. He says, let me give you new life. Let me radically convert all of humanity and give you new life and make you a new creation. So you could see your dad's face. Okay? You could see your dad's face. You're not going to be blinded by the corruption of the sin. And that's why you know, that's why I'm telling us, is that that's why everybody knows deep down that there's God. Only the fool in his heart says there's no God. Let me tell you, many people that you meet, especially in America, right, there's atheists there and there's atheists here too, right? You know, I don't really think that they rejected God. I really don't. You know what I think? I think they rejected the Western God. What do I mean by that? It's the Western God of judgmentalism, anger. God's going to judge your nation because they're homosexual and blah, 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 abortion, blah, 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 and all those things. That's the God that many people have rejected. They will not reject an unconditional loving God. <laughs> but that's not the God that we hear preached at the pulpit. We hear the angry God. You better watch out. God knows everything. And here, here I am saying God knows everything. He still loves you. Do you know why he doesn't like that sin? Because you mess up your own life, man. It doesn't offend God. You think God's really offended? <gasps> you watch something bad. Ah! You think God's like that, man? God is more patient than us. And that's why love is patient. It's so simple. But the, the, the love that we see in Corinthians chapter 13 is not the kind of love that we see that's described in God. From many pulpits today. It's so different. Right? I'm telling you, you could experience heaven here on earth now if we understood this. If we just got this. Right? Instead of trying to create all these divisions. Now we're the in-group, you're the out-group, blah, blah, blah. And what if we just learn how to just love each other and just learn to agree to disagree? Right? You believe what you believe with a passion, but come on, man. That doesn't mean that you have to treat people bad. That doesn't mean that you have to separate. Look at the Christians that are separating from each other because of denominations. Honestly, folks, that's ridiculous. It's a joke. Because this is our denomination. No, 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 no. We're the body of Christ and we're learning together. We're discovering who this God is. And God is very patient with us that we don't have it all together. <laughs> it's amazing how God is with us. Now, let me explain this because I'm sure this is still confusing for some people of what this means when, when God came in human form. Now, is Jesus 100% God? Now, according to the Christian faith, we're going to say yes. Now, is he 100% man? Yeah? So we're going to say yes. Now, what does this mean? That's why he's called the God-man. So if, God is 100, if Jesus is 100% God and 100% man, in the incarnation, in Christ, God and humanity are in union already. It's not when he dies and then you ask Jesus to come into your heart and now you're one with God. No, in the incarnation itself, God and humanity, boom, they are now in union together in this incarnation. Now, a lot of Christians don't know that. Did you know that? Even a lot of Bible students don't know that because I didn't learn that when I was in Bible school. I heard that we're only in union with God when we believe. Because now he's inside me. And then I asked Jesus into my heart. No, 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 no. 
This already happened 2,000 years ago. So there's this union. Now, because of this union, that, that's why Jesus is called the mediator between God and man. That when you say Jesus, you're saying God. And when you say Jesus, you're saying man. And what you do is when you say Jesus, you're saying God and man already together. United. Now follow along with me. Now, if there is this union in the incarnation with God and man, whatever happened to him happened to who? Us. Right? Now we're in union with God. We're not separated from him. Whatever happened to him happened to us. So when Christ died, what happened to all of humanity? We died. Now, if Christ resurrected from the dead, what happened to all of humanity? Humanity resurrected from the dead, right? Now, when, when Christ ascended to the right hand of the Father, what happened to all of humanity? We ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's why the Bible says that we too are now seated with him in heavenly places. Folks, if you study very traditional evangelical theology, which is what a lot of people hold to in America, they don't believe that. They believe that all that stuff happens only when you believe and when you have faith, right? It is very interesting because a lot of people still struggle with faith really means, right? And I'm telling you, all those things already happen. Now, that, that, that's the struggle for a lot of people, is that why would I emphasize all of humanity? Why? Because when you think about it, isn't it interesting that the way we describe, at least among traditional evangelical theology, we think that Adam's work is greater than what Jesus did. How many sins does it take to be a sinner? How many? You know, I've done this to so many churches, and churches are like, one! <laughs> right? And then they feel embarrassed after. Zero. Now, how many good deeds do you have to do in order to become righteous? Now, we could all say zero, but if you're uh, a typical Christian nowadays, you're saying, no, 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 but you have to believe. When he died, we died. When he resurrected, we resurrected. When he ascended, we ascended. That's the finished work of Jesus Christ. Right? And what the believing does, and I'm not negating belief, is that the believing allows you to experience what he accomplished on the cross. Are you making sense? Okay. Now, when it comes to this whole idea of, of Adam affecting everybody, and Jesus wasn't able to affect everybody unless you believe just right, or yes, Jesus into your heart. The problem is that's not what the Bible says, because 1 Corinthians 15 says what? For in Adam all die, so in Christ some will be made alive. All will be made alive. It doesn't say when you believe just right. All will be made alive. Now, I want you to think about this. Now, I don't, I don't know how much you guys have preached about this, about this whole idea of being born again. This is a big deal. When it comes to people being born again, who is born again and when were you born again? Now, if God gave everybody new life and they are now born again, then how do we understand this whole idea of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, right? Because typically when you're born again, that's when you have faith. Oh, I'm born again now. Yes, Jesus, come, come into my heart, Jesus. And all of a sudden, boom, born again. You have new life. Your Father loves you. You're accepted. You're adopted. You're included. You're forgiven. You're righteous. You're holy. Really? Is that how it works? Right? And did you know it's interesting because 
there's what we call a lot of people preaching the grace message. They don't even know how to agree upon this. Some people will say, oh, everyone's forgiven, but not everybody's saved. Or they'll say, well, actually nobody's forgiven until you receive his forgiveness and then you have faith. Some grace preachers will say everybody's reconciled, but not everybody is saved. Another one will say no one's reconciled until you believe. Who are you going to believe now? When the grace preachers can't even agree with each other. And why are they chopping it up? Right? And with the, when, when Jesus says it's finished, he meant it. And that includes the whole package when he said it is finished. Right? And that's why I want you to think about this. When people said, when people think that you're born again because you asked Jesus into your heart, I am not denying that you felt something. Okay, some people say, God, come into my heart. I believe in you, Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, they feel love. I'm not denying that. The problem is, is that the experience is real, but your understanding is not Christian. It's pagan. Okay, because your born-again experience happened 2,000 years ago in the life of Christ. You know what the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3? is that God, the Father, caused us to be born again when you believe? No. 1 Peter 1, 3 says that God caused us to be born again through the resurrection. Oh, that's pretty wild, right? Have you guys heard of that verse before? Imagine that God caused us to be born again, or we've been given a new birth, born again, through the resurrection. It just depends which translation that you're reading from. Are you seeing this, folks? A lot of people don't think this, because if you look at typical Christian lingo, Oh, when did you get saved, brother? Oh, I was saved when I was 24 years old or when I was 17. That's when I asked Christ into my heart. I became born again. No, you didn't. That thing happened 2,000 years ago. What you did is that you finally awakened and you realize what Christ already finished 2,000 years ago. Oh, that's going to be a huge paradigm shift for a lot of Christians. You can trust me on that, man. Right? And you know what it also says in the book of Romans? Romans chapter 5 says that God reconciled us to himself when we believed and when we repented. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It doesn't say that. <laughs> what does Romans 5 say? Romans 5 says that God reconciled us to himself when we were still powerless. When we were still sinners. When? When we were still his enemies. You had no choice. And you know what, folks? You should be very thankful to God for that. <laughs> that God already included you into himself. Like I said, it's just another way of saying you're accepted. You're included. Right? Making sense so far? I don't even know if this is new to this group, man, because I'm not really sure. Right? I know some people get this, but I know some of this is kind of new for some people. I'm telling you, because it's not about trying to convert everybody. Folks, Jesus converted everybody. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you hear all these missionaries say, I'm going to try to save as many souls as I can and make them receive Christ so they could be born again. That's Jesus' job. So what are we supposed to do as so, quote-unquote missionaries? 
You know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to do what Jesus commissioned Paul to do to the Gentiles. We're here to what? Acts chapter 26. Open their eyes. Wow. Why do we need to open their eyes? Because they already have it. Because Christ is already there, believe it or not, Christians. He's not only in you. Oh, that, that, that's scary for a lot of people. The thing that God is only inside Christians. I'm telling you, there's some Christians in this room that you probably don't even know what you believe. If, if, if it's all based upon your conditions, you better be scared. Right? Or, or to know that even in your confusion, God still holds you. And God is still very patient with you as you're on this journey of discovering his love. Amen? That's a pretty good God, man. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying. Sorry. <laughs> that's the way I talk. Anyways, um, now another, I think one of the biggest lies that's been taught in the church is that we were separated from God. Now, how many of you have heard this before? And, and I get a lot of flack for this on, on the internet. But how many of you heard that we were separated from God? Okay, I've heard that. Why? Because of your sin, right? And so basically what, what Christians like to do is they like, they like to draw pictures where I'm here because of my sin and I'm dirty and corrupt and then God's over there because he's too holy and he can't look upon sin, right? So you could draw a picture of God over there and then I'm over here. And so they'll take a verse, say, well, Josh, it's in the Bible. And there's one verse that's used and it's found in Isaiah 59 where it says that your, iniqu your iniquities have separated you from your God. Boom! Right there, Josh. It says it right there. You are separated from God. Really? <laughs> I want you to think about that, folks. Is it a literal separation? Like God is over there because he's too holy and I'm just dirty and corrupt and he can't even look at me because of my sin? Really? Is that how it really is? Or is it a different kind of separation that the Bible is talking about there? Folks, let me ask you a very simple question. Can you be in a place where God is not? You guys get that? Can you be in a place where God is not? Oh, it's impossible. How do you say it in Tagalog? Imposible? <laughs> it's the same way, okay. Right? <laughs> right? I want you to think about that. You cannot be in a place where God is not because God is everywhere. Even if you go to the depths, He is there. Right? Whatever you want to call hell or whatever you want to call it. Right? So what is this verse saying? Basically, if you read the context, is that the people were blind. They couldn't see because of the corruption of their sin. They were living in darkness. Right? It's not a literal separation. Right? And if you read the, the, the context of that verse in Isaiah 59, if you see what God does, is that he actually does something about it. He just doesn't leave those people hanging. So he, he even becomes a salvation for those people. But many people don't like reading that far. Now, another thing to consider is that the Bible actually does say that you're separated in the New Testament. In fact, the Bible says that you've been alienated and that you've been enemies and separated from God. Where? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21. Oh, but wait a minute. If you look at it again, it says that the only separation is where? Here. It's in your mind. Folks, haven't you, because I know I've experienced this one, especially when I was a kid, okay? When you do something bad, all of a sudden, oh, God's mad at me. <laughs> I don't feel his presence. You know, I used to, people used to tell us, like, if you're a preacher and, and you sin, 
God's going to take his hand off of you. Right? His presence is going to be gone. Right? Or he's, isn't it interesting? We feel like God is far from us, far from us. So we have those moments. Do you know why? Because it's all lies. And what we're doing is that with this false understanding of who God is, we're projecting that unto God. Oh, God, I did something bad. You're far from me. Let me go repent and say sorry. Now he's close. Now he's back in my heart now. Man, if that's the case, you're going to be confessing your sins forever. And you're never going to feel secure at all. Zero. Right? Folks, when the Bible says that you've been separated or alienated or enemies, you are enemies in your mind. But when you sinned and when we did dumb things, God still loved us as our Father. He's not like, you are my enemy. No, 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 no. We thought that we were enemies in our mind. If Christians only knew this, you were never separated from him. You know, I get emails from Christians here. They're like, Pastor Josh, I feel like God is so far from me. What do I need to do? I feel so empty and dry. You know that kind of language, right? Man, if you think about it, folks, I look at Christians sometimes, they look more depressed than unbelievers. You know why? Because they're constantly living in performance. You have to do, 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 instead of realizing it's already done. That Christ lived your life on your behalf and he represented you. You know, folks, if, if we have this mentality that God is far every time we do something dumb or his presence will leave us every time we do something dumb, like I said, you'll never have security. And I want you to think about this. Our, our union with God is so secure. The Bible says that we are in him and he is in us. How close do you want to get? How close do you want to get? But if you only knew, God's not going anywhere. God's not like, oh, he watched something bad. I'm leaving. <laughs> God's not like that. Man. Even if your kids do something dumb, you're not just going to abandon them. Is our love greater than God's love? Oh, but God's love is different. You don't want me to go there again. Right? We know what love is. And maybe we're just misinterpreting our Bible. <laughs> I'm telling you that if, you, we, if we could understand this, that God accepts you, God has included all of humanity, you're going to read your Bible a lot differently. That you'll start seeing passages in there. You'll be like, oh man, I, I, I see it now. He really finished it for the whole world. right? You know, I've heard people say, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. I heard a, a very popular preacher on YouTube really hammering it in about this exclusivism, right, of Christianity being the only way. Right, but let me just say this. I know this is kind of controversial. There's no right religion. There's no one right religion, folks. Christianity is not the only way. Let me just throw that out there. Because Christ didn't come to bring religion. He came to demonstrate relationship and love for you and for me. Now, when Jesus say, when, when, when people quote Jesus saying, but he's the only way, you can't be a Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, whatever, Jesus is the only way. The Bible says it there. It's very crystal clear, Josh. Okay, I don't deny that verse is in there. He does say Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. That's what the Bible actually says. But what happens? Not too long after that, Jesus says, it is finished. Is Jesus the way? Absolutely. But guess what? He made the way. Are you getting this, folks? A lot of people don't catch this, man. Yeah, we want to create these dividers. Oh, man, that Muslim, he's going to hell because he's not a Christian like me. Well, look at those other Christians that are not like you. They're part of another denomination, right? You Christians can't even get along. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is the only way, and he made the way. This is not a potential gospel. This is not an invitation to ask Jesus into your heart. This is a declaration saying, he's there. Open your eyes. Listen to your heart. Do you need a Bible verse to tell you that murder is not good? If someone commits murder and he says, I'm sorry, I didn't know any better. I didn't know my Bible. You think you're going to let him off the hook? No, because he knows what love is. Why? Because love is in his heart. Love is in his heart. You know, there's a story that we're all aware of, of the parable of the lost son. I want to give you folks a different take on it, a different angle. Now, a lot of people like focusing on who? The son, the lost son. But I want to focus on the father. And when you look at the beginning of the story, what does it say? There was a man who had two sons. And so you could kind of sense that there's a focus on the father here, that one of the sons took the inheritance. What did he do? He did a bunch of stupid things. He squandered his wealth. Now all of a sudden, there was a famine in the country. And then he went hungry. So what did the boy do? <laughs> While he was in the pig pen, he decided, you know what? My father's hired servants eat better than I do. And I'm going to go back and I'm going to get the speech ready for my dad. So what happens right after that? Right after he wants to prepare his speech for his dad to apologize to his dad. What does the Bible say in Luke 15? It says, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. And what? He was filled with compassion for him. And then he walked to his son. No. He ran to his son, threw his arms around his son, and then he kissed him. And then what? He just gave him any robe? No. He gave him what? The best robe. He put sandals on his feet. He put a ring on his finger. He got the fan cap and he killed it and he gave a celebration for him. Right after he did a bunch of stupid things. Now a lot of people will say, let me ask you a question folks. When was the repentance? If repentance means a change of mind or change of heart, however you want to define it, right? Where was the repentance? You know what a lot of Christians will say? The repentance happened in the pig pen. That's why he wanted to go back. No, if you look at the story closely, he only wanted to go back. Why? Because he was hungry. <laughs> and the father even interrupted his apology. He didn't even let him finish. Because the father just kept lavishing his love upon his own son. Even after he did all those stupid things. And I believe that the genuine repentance didn't happen in the pig pen. You know where it happened? In the Father's arms. 
Because that's when the genuine change happens, folks. Is that when you realize that you're already accepted. Is that you realize that you're already loved. And you realize that the Father is even willing to embrace you even when you mess up. God's not going to say, stay away from me until you get your act straight. That's not the kind of God that we know. That all those times when we fail and we make mistakes and we're about to say something, God will just say, come here. And he'll just embrace you. He'll just hold you. He'll just say, just say stop. He doesn't need to know your sins. You, when you confess your struggles, that's for you. It's not for him. He's not keeping count. Folks, God does not treat you dependent upon how good you are at not sinning. Christianity is not behavior modification. You, we've done thousands and thousands of sins, and I'm pretty sure that how much we remember them in order to confess them doesn't even come close to confessing. Because God is so concerned about just giving you life to experience Him, to experience His love. Now think about this. When you think about the Son, He's called the lost Son. Now it's very interesting because we, we would say we're Christians and the rest of the world is lost. <laughs> right? We look at, we even look at Catholics sometimes and we're like, oh, see Mother Mary, you know, they do good works and the rosary, you know, or, it's all those things. Folks, when we accuse Catholics of doing good works, hello, just speak to any Christians, they're doing the same thing. They're just not calling it the rosary. Just look at many Christians who are living performance-based lives. You guys getting what I'm saying? They're not living by grace. They're living under law. Because law is ultimately a mentality. Right? How many of you have read your Bibles this morning? <laughs> right? Okay, let's just say, let's just see at least one of you. <laughs> let's just say at least one of you read your Bible this morning. You know what I could say? You should have read more. That's the mindset of the law. Or I could say, how many did you pray today? I prayed for two hours today. I did my quiet time. Oh, two hours, huh? You could have prayed more. That's the mentality of the law. That's not living under grace. You see the big difference? The law mentality is all about doing and performance and trying to earn, and now you get God's blessing, and now you get God's favor simply because you did something. And I'm telling you, you already have it. Folks, when you look at the story of the prodigal son, what did the older brother do? He got very upset. He says, Dad, I've, been, I've always been obedient to you. Why aren't you doing this for me? And that sounds just like religion when you're trying to earn everything that you already have. But self-righteousness keeps us from seeing the logic of grace. See that? You know, one of my favorite stories is by a man named Tony Campolo. He's a well-known evangelical in America. And he shares a story of uh, his Baptist missionary friend that went to China to minister to Buddhist monks. Now, when he was ministering to this Buddhist monk, he opened up the scriptures, he opened up the Bible to him, and he taught this Buddhist monk the ways of Jesus Christ, right? And as, this, as he was sharing, this Buddhist monk just kept weeping and weeping as a story of Christ was being shared. And then the, the Baptist missionary said, would you like to accept Jesus as your Savior now? You know what the Buddhist monk said? Accept him. I already know him. I just didn't know his name. You gave me his name. You told me about his death. 
You told me about his resurrection, and this whole time that you're speaking and you're reading to me, his spirit within me kept saying, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me, he's speaking about me. Folks, God is alive in many places and in many people that we don't even imagine. And what we're doing is that we're just telling people his name. Folks, do you know that story in Acts chapter 17? What does Paul say to the people? In him we live, we move, we have our being. We all know that popular verse. Who was he saying that to? Christians? Pagans. Pagans. You guys know what the word pagan is? They're not Christians. Why would he say that? Why? Because God sustains Everybody. That's how you know that nobody is separated from God. Also because Colossians 1 says that in Christ all things hold together. All things hold together. Have you ever wondered why many unbelievers are more loving than Christians? Have you ever wondered why many unbelievers are better parents? than Christians, than some Christians? Have you ever noticed and wondered why many unbelievers have better marriages? I've seen it. You know, the divorce rate before in America is pretty bad. It's even worse than unbelievers. <laughs> why is it that many unbelievers can also seem more generous? Many of them donate to charity more than many Christians when we're supposed to be the one givers of God and giving our tithes or whatever, right? Why is that? Why is it that many unbelievers could also experience better health than some Christians? And when Christians have this very weird mentality that God wants them sick to treat them, give them a lesson to learn, right? I won't get into that. Why is it that you could see many unbelievers prosper financially much better than Christians? And here we are, we talk about God as our provider and we're struggling. Why? The light shines everywhere, folks. Everywhere. Did you know that the Bible even says in John chapter 1 that the light shines even in the darkness? Isn't that a weird statement? The light shines in the darkness. That must mean that, must mean that there's a shadow. Right? You see, there's a shadow of my hand on the ground. But you know what the Bible says? The light even shines in that shadow. It even shines in the darkness. What does that mean? That in the ultimate sense, there's no darkness. So you know what darkness is? It's when you close your eyes. And you choose not to see the goodness and the unconditional love and the provision that God has already given us. You know, people think, oh man, this message that Josh is preaching, it's just like it's forced. It's like you don't have a choice. You have a choice. You are included, right? But the choice now, now that you're adopted and that you're included, your choice now is whether or not you participate. And you could choose to participate with the source of all love experience, no matter what religion you're from. Or you could choose to reject this love. And you and I know that whenever you reject love, life becomes a living hell for you. 
You tell me that when you do not love somebody, your relationships fall apart. Right? It could fall apart in your businesses, right? in your marriages, your relationship with your kids. If there is no love, you will create a living hell for you. And that's why it's so important. Folks, that's why you can see unbelievers, folks, that they're prospering and they're, they're, they're doing okay. Why? Because like I said, the light shines everywhere. And just like in Acts 17, there's this unknown God. What does Paul tell those people in the people the people of Athens that were worshiping this unknown God, Paul says, let me proclaim him to you now. He wasn't saying, wrong God. Let me proclaim him to you now. That's why there are these people who understand what love is, and they just don't call themselves Christians. That's why many people say, I don't want anything to do with Christianity. They're mean. They're so judgmental, because they understand the love that's in their heart. And when we preach the true Christ, of unconditional love, they say, that's the God that I want to know and love. That's the kind of God that I want to believe in. That's the kind of God that I want to embrace and say, this is the true God. Because He's a source of all love experienced, folks. Does the Bible say that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the Christians? Jesus is a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of those who confess their sins perfectly. Jesus is a Lamb of God who came to those who repent. Jesus is a Lamb of God to those who believe. What does the Bible say? He is a Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. It's finished. And when we're looking at all these people who are lost because they don't think exactly like the way you do, which is interesting because maybe even your wife doesn't think exactly the way you do, right? And we judge these people, damning them, condemning them, and saying they're lost. Let's just say that they are. And just like the story of the parable of the lost son, I want you to think about this. If someone is lost, what does that imply? That they have a home. That they belong somewhere. And they still belong to somebody. And when you look at the story of the parable of the lost son, when he came back to his dad, did he still have a dad? Yes. Did the father disown him? No. Was the son still his son? His sonship was not based upon his performance. He was still his son. And... He didn't just have a father. He still had a father who loved and is willing to bless. Why? Because that's what changes the human heart, folks. It's not like you better get your act straight and then I'm going to bless you. Folks, if we could just be honest with ourselves here. Haven't you had a day where you did something stupid in the morning and then later on in the day you got blessed? You know what that's called? It's called grace. grace. And when you experience the grace of God, that's what changes the human heart. The Bible says that you are reconciled, you are forgiven, you are adopted, you're included. This is what we call, and I know some of us know this term already, this is called objective reality. This already happened. And the reason why we believe is because our eyes are opened and now we are now experiencing 
this reality. Now, I could tell my wife, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Will that do any good unless she believes it? If she does not believe that I love her, it's not going to do anything to her. You know how many people live in unforgiveness and they get sick? You guys know that, right? Or you hold a grudge? It's not good for the heart. You know that, right? <laughs> and I'm telling you, it's for us to experience that we're already forgiven. It's for us to experience that we're already okay with God. And all we need to do is constantly be awakened. Where day after day, we're not becoming better Christians, because I don't even know what that means. <laughs> that doesn't mean reading your Bible more, whatever. Is that we're more awakened and we're more conscious of who He is. Because the way we view God, like I said, is the way we're going to treat people. And I'm telling you, this whole world, God embraced them. If Christ could embrace everybody, why can't I? You know who he was upset with? The religious people that wanted to divide and say, we're better. We have the right doctrine. We follow the laws. I'm telling you, you're no better than anybody. I'm no better than anybody. We're all on equal footing now. And that's why you can look at a Buddhist, you can look at a Muslim, you can look at another person of other faith and say, they're included. Let me tell them about Jesus Christ. Let me tell them about what he's done. But before, when I didn't get this, I'm all about, I need to save that guy. He's going to go to hell, man. You know, and it's this gospel like, if you don't like God, you're going to burn. You see, that, that's not the gospel. God's not saying, I love you so much. But if you don't like me back, you're going to suffer eternal conscious torment forever and ever and ever and ever for billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions and billions, and billions, and billions, and billions of years. I'm not going to get into the whole hell issue. That's a whole other story. I'm telling you now, you can experience heaven here on earth, here and now, when we learn to love people. When we learn to love with those that don't think like us, who even do bad things, right? And we can learn to just love them and accept them. And once they see this acceptance, when they see the unconditional love, that's what changes people. Folks, don't even try to change people. Don't even try to change your spouse. If you see something in them that you don't like, just focus on them. Focus on loving them. And then they'll change. God's a good God, amen? And I hope this makes sense. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, I hope I'll just close with this, Ephesians 5 says that we are dearly loved children of God. Dearly love. You know, and a lot of people, I'm not even, <laughs> I won't even tell you the messages that I received this week, man. You know, thank God for the block button on Facebook, right? <laughs> you know, I've been preaching this message for several years, and I've been called a lot of unkind things. But you know what God calls me? He calls me son. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. No matter what you do. And all we need to do, like I said, keep hearing the good news because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Don't force it. 
just relax. See, and that's a problem with a lot of preaching today. You know what? A lot of preaching is like this. Let me teach you all these principles. Now you try to apply them later. Let me tell you what true grace uh, sermons are. When you hear the good news, it will just change your heart. You become awakened. You become more conscious. You're like, it just flows naturally, right? And I'm telling you, that's what true love is, folks. It's not when you are trying to love God. This may sound like a shocker. Don't even try to love God. Don't even try. What? You know why? Because of that standard that you're putting on yourself, you're going to stink and fail. Sorry. You're going to fail. But here's what I could tell you. Focus on his love for you. You will love God. You will love God. Amen? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs>